We welcome you back to these studies from God's Book of Wisdom given through Solomon, compiled by various men after Solomon, like the scribes of Hezekiah. During this class, I'm going to be all over the place, it might be said. Miscellaneous Proverbs I've selected, not covered in previous classes. Will you be ready in Proverbs chapter 21, and from there we'll move into chapter 22. At the end of chapter 21, that'll be my first stop, verses 30 and 31. And I'm going to ask you to be ready with a reference passage in Psalms chapter 2. This is before the Hezekiah section we mentioned earlier. Here's the statement in Proverbs 21, verses 30 and 31. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. The first time I read this, a passage from Psalms came to mind immediately. Listen to this from Psalms chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, Be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now what's the point of this in Proverbs 21, 30, and 31? And then when you factor in, the prophecy in Psalms chapter 2 and what Psalms 2 says about God. Here's the point. Man cannot avail or win against God. Everything else in the Bible and in history testifies man cannot avail or win against God. History on page after page contains the reports of men attempting to defeat God plotting against him, but all in vain. And then in the resurrection of Christ, in that historical event, God said, you cannot defeat my purpose. Men, as free moral agents, can transgress, conspire, plot, recruit allies, train the next generation, revise their plans, and even claim victory, but they fail. They always fail against God, And God will address his wrath to those who plot in vain and hold them in derision. Now, how does this all connect into the theme of Proverbs? Well, do you remember that introductory statement in chapter 1? 
that frame of mind that makes us receptive to God's will. You remember what that is? The fear of the Lord. Now, listen again in chapter 21, 30 and 31. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Fear the Lord. Trust in Him. God may use men, and men may use horses, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Now, into chapter 22. I want to stop right at verse 1. Proverbs 22, I'm going to stop at verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. When you read here in Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes about a good name, don't think of a given name. This isn't about parents choosing a good name, you know, like Warren. This is about reputation. Choose a good reputation over riches. That's the translation in the New Living Translation. Choose a good reputation over riches being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. This is sometimes called a value statement, where one thing is better than another. A good reputation is better than great riches. Having the respect of good people because of your righteousness is far better than silver and gold. All of us have seen this. I could give you a long list of people who have good reputations because of their service to God, their integrity, their discipleship. But in this world's goods, they had very little. Not rich in financial assets, holdings, or material things, but rich in their spiritual health and their reputation among good people. Now, on this subject of reputation, it must always be made very clear that reputation is a product of character. You cannot just craft or market a reputation in the absence of character and claim any spiritual value. Leave that to marketing companies and political campaigns. A good reputation in the sight of God and His people is always a product of good character that we are able to develop in Christ. Still in Proverbs 22, look with me at verse 3. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Over and over in Proverbs, a theme is forethought and foresight. Choices have consequences. So this is caution. Pause to discern and connect choices with consequences. You might think of highway signs, danger ahead. What do you do? If you're prudent, you slow down, take another route, you reassess where you're headed. The prudent sees danger and hides himself. But we all know of simpletons. That was the old term. People who just keep going beyond the warning signs, into the danger, and what happens? They suffer for it. So when I use God's Word to feed my mind and equip me with self-control, I see danger ahead, and I turn around. 
Still in Proverbs 22, let's talk about verse 6, which is much discussed. Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, you know how this discussion usually goes. Is this an absolute guarantee or a general rule? If it is an absolute guarantee, we have an issue to grapple with. Human beings are free moral agents. That means having the capacity of choice or free will. Even after receiving good knowledge, even after righteous training and good influence, there remains this reality of a child, well-trained, turning from that training. The training was there. The parents did their work of love, instruction, and influence. But after the child left home, choices were made against that good training. We've all observed that. And that thinking and that factor of free moral agency or choice usually leads us to regard this as a general rule. May I offer an example from over in the book of Isaiah chapter 1. And as you approach Isaiah chapter 1, as you turn to that place, I want you to think of God as a parent. Uh, that certainly isn't a stretch. God is our heavenly Father, so we authentically think of God as our parent. Now think of the nation of Israel as his children. And look with me at Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. And then you have quotation marks. This is what the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. So, is it possible for a father, a parent, to do his job perfectly, yet the children rebel? No doubt. God was the perfect parent. He trained them exactly as they should have been trained. Yet those children he trained rebelled against him. They exercised their free will to reject their father's training and go their own way. If that happens with God, it certainly happens with earthly parents. May I insert another thought about this? God has defined parental authority. God has defined the boundaries. God has defined the end of parental authority in Genesis 2.24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There comes a time, God says, when children leave father and mother. Parental authority is over, and from that point on, your children will make decisions apart from your authority. Now, we want to prepare them for that, yet we know that as free moral agents, they may make choices against the training we provided. Now, parents, don't use the reality of free moral agency to set your children up for going astray. Do your work to the best of your ability to raise them in the ways of divine wisdom, influence, example, teaching, Give them your best efforts to train them upright, but just understand there is no guarantee. 
Just be aware of it. Then, uh, especially relevant to our times, I want to stop with you at verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Well, I bet you know what subject this brings up, this text message from God. The way the world is set up, wealth has more power than poverty, like it or not. That's the way it is here on earth. Solomon in Ecclesiastes made that point. The part of this that really gets our attention today is the borrower is the slave to the lender. There is certainly risk in the excessive or impulsive use of credit in our time. But let's put this in the context of the time when this was written. While the law of Moses contained very strict legislation against loaning and interest, these laws were not always followed. And in nations and cultures outside of Israel, creditors actually enslaved people. There's an example in 2 Kings 4 and verse 1. Certainly, owing money, like most of us do, for instance, on our homes, is a serious matter and contains something that is an element of risk that we ought to take seriously. No doubt, excessive credit card debt can ruin a family's budget and long-term saving. But this is an observational proverb. When we use this to warn people, we should bring up the cultural context and the brutality that often came into play back then. Still, think carefully about debt. We are still here in Proverbs 22, and here's what's next over in verse 28, something I want us to consider. It says, Do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. I want to discuss a misuse of this verse, and then I'll talk about a proper use of it. First, the misuse of the verse. Back in the day when denominations were being initially formed, mostly in response to Catholicism, various founders set up creeds to keep those churches together. This verse has sometimes been applied to the founding fathers of those organizations. The admonition was, don't change what our founders decided and documented. Well, that application doesn't go back far enough in terms of principle. The word landmark in this passage has to do with boundary markers. Here are two other passages. Deuteronomy 19.14, you shall not move your neighbor's boundary marker which the ancestors have set in your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God gives you to possess. Then Deuteronomy 27, 17, Cursed is he who moves his neighbor's boundary mark, and all the people shall say amen. So the original law was not about men who wrote religious law. It was about legal boundary lines of a landowner, tribe, or nation. Those landmarks were to be respected. Now, principle is contained in this, and the principle is what is legitimately established deserves to be respected. What is legitimately established deserves to be respected. If you shift the boundary marker, that's obviously wrong. 
What is legitimately established should be respected. So how might we apply that? Well, taking that principle, what has God legitimately established in his word delivered by the apostles of Christ in the New Testament? No matter what men have said and written after the close of the New Testament, what is binding on us is what God revealed through the apostles. That's what deserves our respect. How thankful we ought to be that God has set boundaries for our moral and spiritual safety with a view toward glorifying Him and taking us to Him through Christ eternally. I have two final points. One to parents, train up your children in the way they should go, which of course is God's way, and start early. I don't know at exactly what point in age a child can begin to see your respect for God or begin to know what Jesus loves me means, but can you start too early? Of course not. If you sing Jesus loves me to a child under a year old, you will reinforce your own faith and you'll develop a good habit. We do not know with specific accuracy at exactly what age they pick that up and likely it varies from child to child, but the commitment to start early can never be considered wasted time. Train up your children, train them up toward God and heaven. Then I wanted to say one more little thing about reputation. Whatever your reputation is here on earth, God knows what's behind it. If someone is insincere, hypocritical, portraying themselves in some way to appear to be pious, it may result in a pious reputation here on earth among men, but God knows the heart. So start by getting your heart right. Live out that commitment, and reputation will not be something you have to craft or manufacture. It will be the result, the product of your right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. These studies are brought to you by the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas. Wherever you are, we're glad that you've listened and hope that you will get in touch with us. Thank you for listening.